Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Abandonment. The dictionary definition of the word is an act or an instance of leaving a person or a thing permanently and completely. We were driving on the highway, just me and my dad. It was a warm spring day with the windows rolled down and the radio on high when the lyrics of the Christian song sang, I just want to be like you, Father. My dad and I never had any in-depth conversations, but something about him turned around that day and asked, do you want to be like me one day, son? Flashbacks of the drinking, the abuse, and the yelling emerged from my memory, and I replied, no. Before I had more time to think about my answer, I'll never forget the sad, disappointed look on his face as his eyes turned back onto the long road ahead. It started with my mom and dad getting a divorce when I was in first grade. Their relationship was violent, so much so that my mom ended up with broken ribs and my dad would drink and drink. I had a lack of self-worth. I struggled in school, always feeling behind educationally. I was dyslexic, colorblind, and I always felt displaced from the rest. When I finally started dating, I was cheated on and I, looking back, I know it was just my self-worth that was spiraling lower and lower. Everything in life felt like it was abandoning me, not just my father. I wasn't worth fighting for by anyone or anything. I felt unintelligent, unwanted, and worthless. Identity, the qualities of a person that makes a person unique. We were on the escalator at the mall, and my older sister said she'd like to adopt a child one day. I looked up at her a few steps above me and gave her a funny look and snorted, Adopt? Why would you want to adopt instead of just having your own children? She and my mother lovingly looked back down at me, waiting for realization to kick in. Oh, right. I was adopted, I said. Then we all laughed, me more sheepishly than they, them, because I was embarrassed that those words even came out of my mouth. My birth mother was from Long Beach, California. She went to the hospital, gave birth, and left before I even had a name. I'm grateful that my mother left me there because I don't know what my life would look like today if she hadn't. I don't know much about her, but I do know that she was a prostitute and did drugs throughout her pregnancy. I'm blessed to be where I am today given those circumstances. To me, there's no story of brokenness through the adoption part of my story because that was taken care of by the hospital staff who gave me my first name, the nurses who helped wean me off my cocaine, and my parents taking me in and adopting me as soon as they were able to, and then giving me my new name, Rebecca. Trust, a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or, or strength of someone or something. I primarily lived with my grandmother, but my dad had me for the weekend. He picked me up, took me to his friend's house where they went into another room, did drugs while I sat alone in the living room. 
I found some cereal for dinner and turned the TV on to keep me company. Later, my dad's addiction took his life when I was 13 from a heart attack after an overdose. I learned how to do life alone very early on. I occasionally went to church with my grandmother, and I witnessed people sitting in the pews who also attended rallies against minorities. I'm half black, half white, and I know I wanted nothing to do with the church ever. I didn't believe in God, but if I ever imagined God to be real, I imagined him to be like Sid from Toy Story. If God did exist, he enjoyed watching the suffering that takes place down here from somewhere up there. Believing that there was no God was a better reality. I was never good at coping with my feelings. I used substances on and off, but not the hard stuff because I never wanted to end up like my dad. I graduated high school and started going to college, which is where I met my wife, Megan. Shame, a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I did it, I thought to myself. <clears throat> I'm cured. My friend and I went out to dinner, and it had been over a year since I had a drink. She ordered a drink, and I figured just one wouldn't hurt. Before I knew it, a bubbly drink was swirling in front of me, but at least it wasn't 100-proof vodka, right? I told myself yet again that I could drink like a normal person. That night, one drink was all I had. The next week, I had another, and another a few days later. The time between drinks lessened, and it wasn't long before my addiction was full-blown again. I grew up in a loving home with two parents who gave me a great childhood. I don't blame my alcoholism on anyone or anything, but it all started in college. It all started to get out of control in my college years. I was partying a lot and I had begun a relationship that quickly turned abusive. I instantly loved the effect alcohol had on me. It cleared the noise in my head to the point of it becoming an escape from my own negative thoughts and self-loathing. It fed me confidence, belonging, and gave me the peace that I craved. It temporarily filled the emptiness inside of me. I had to get away from it all. I broke off my relationship and joined the military. As soon as I was finished with basic training, I was sneaking bottles again, but I managed to keep it a secret mostly. Getting rid of the bottles, the daily bottles, was a task in itself. I was called to Afghanistan shortly after returning to my home station. I knew I had to quit, so I gave it up cold and turkey the night before we left. The next afternoon at our first refueling station, excuse me, my body couldn't handle the sudden withdrawal and I had my first alcohol withdrawal seizure. I knew deep down why, but I denied knowing the reason. I was sent home and I turned to the bottle even harder. abandoned, unwanted, untrusting, and shamed. I want you to start thinking right now as we celebrate Easter together, what is your headline? Because Easter is the celebration that Jesus' headline turned from death on a cross to he is alive. Amen? That's what we celebrate every Easter, and my friends are sharing their stories of redemption here this morning. And first off, I want to thank all of you for showing up for Easter today here uh, at Easter in Eagle River. First, this is kind of an acknowledgement that you see Easter as more than maybe uh, a celebration of candy or just whatever your grandmother used to tell you when you were a kid. You're saying, hey, there's something more to celebrate about Easter. Second, uh, before we get going too far, I want you to begin right now thinking about something called baptism. We have these tanks filled up with water here today, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus through showing everyone that Jesus has resurrected our lives through baptism. And so our prayer, uh, really for months, has been that there wouldn't be one person in the room today that calls themselves a Christian 
who leaves here without being obedient to God through baptism. And so I just want you to kind of prepare yourself and, and get your heart ready to move if God is calling you to do that here today. Well, Time Magazine wrote an article that I was reading about the most iconic headlines in American history. And some of you, if you know the dates, the dates might kind of give some of these away. And so you can guess a little bit if you want. Uh, the first one that I read was April 16th, 1912. The headline was, any, any ideas? That's right, Titanic sinks. You guys are smart. Went to school. All right. May 2nd, 1945. The headline was, Hitler dead. August 17th, 1977, any of you music fans? Elvis is dead, right? No more shaking going on. Elvis is dead. September 12th, I remember this one, 2001, the headline was War on America. For a lot of you, remember that moment when everything changed at that moment after 9-11. These are big headlines in world history, but they're nothing compared to the headline from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that said that Jesus is alive. And 2,000 years ago, news spread a little differently than it does today. Today, uh, stories spread because they're unbelievable, not because they're real, right? You'll see something on Facebook or, or Twitter, and you'll share it because it's like, well, that's really, that's really crazy. That's really unbelievable. And news spreads that way. But Instead, stories spread differently in the past. In the first century, the stories didn't spread because they were unbelievable. They spread because they were real. And the news of Jesus' resurrection went to the countryside because it actually happened. This wasn't some sort of fake news. This wasn't like a satire, a Babylon Bee article that's been sharing around the Twitterverse, right? This was the story of the resurrection of Jesus, and it was true. And I believe if Jesus were to have written his own headline, it would have been this. In John eleven twenty five. 25, here's what he says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he asks a question. Do you believe this? And I think that is the question that we have to wrestle with this Easter morning is, do we believe this. I love that Jesus says that I am the resurrection, not I give the resurrection. In other words, he is the source of the resurrection we all can experience. And then he says it is offered to anyone, which is amazing. So I don't know uh, what brought you here, if you are making mom happy or grandma happy by showing up to Easter here today, but I want you to know that, that redemption is for you. That Jesus is like resurrection is for you. It's for everybody in the room. It's real. I know your pain is real, but what's more real is the resurrection that Jesus promises. Then he says, though he die, yet shall he live. In other words, death is a real thing. Pain is a real thing. We don't act like suffering isn't real. We're acknowledging our stories today. We're just saying that Jesus is more real than my suffering. He is more real than my pain, and he can overcome all things. But, but there is a problem in the world, isn't there? It's something that in the church we call sin, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me. We've all fallen short of God's holy standard. And if we're honest, we can't even live up to our own standards. Am I right? Anybody here, just show of hands, did you make any New Year's resolutions? Anybody just in January? Okay, a few of you in the room. All right. So I can prove that we can't stand up to our own standards because have you been to the gym on January 1st? Anybody? Go down to Planet Fitness or whatever, like, it is packed. It's like Hunger Games in the parking lot, right? Like, you can't even find a spot. And then, have you been to the gym on February 1st? 
ghost town, right? Like, I am, I'm getting the first class parking right at the front because there's nobody there. Why? Because we make these commitments that even we can't stand up to. We can't even hold up to our own standards, let alone the holy standard of God. This is why the cross was necessary. This is why there was a payment for our sin that was necessary. You see, we have a big problem, and we live in a world that acts like our problems aren't that big, right? We act like the things that we do wrong are just ah, little, little mistakes, right? They're just like little mistakes, but the problem is we can't fix ourselves. And no matter how much we try, these little mistakes, they keep coming back. That's my story. Every time I try to just fix myself, it keeps coming back. And here's why. Because we are not mistakers in need of a life coach. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And as we listen to these stories from my friends up here, first, you need to know they're not making stuff up. We didn't download these stories off the internet. These are their stories, and you have your own story. And I want you to consider for yourself today, when did my life feel hopeless? What made me think that if there was a God, he probably wants nothing to do with me? Here's what I've seen. Is that right where death seems to have the win is where Jesus seems most likely to show up. Abandonment. The word has followed me around like an unwanted shadow. Everywhere I went, there it was. I tried my hardest to make it leave, but it remained as though it were a permanent broken limb that was attached to my body. After a while, it's something you just get used to, but still wish to detach from. It was just a few years later when I was working at my first job. My red polo shirt read the cloister car wash, and I was drawing off a newly washed car in the middle of my shift when a coworker told me that my family was there to see me. Waiting for me was my father and stepmother in the back of the car wash. That was when they retrieved all my belongings from the car and placed it on the curb in a form of public display. I remember at first feeling only embarrassed, but it was the depth of abandonment that could only be unfolded with time. The type that doesn't hit you right away. Everything that felt like home was sitting out in the cold, exposed and out of place, just like me including my beloved boombox stereo that now looked awfully out of place on the curb. After watching their car drive away, I moved my things and returned to my shift as though nothing was wrong. It's funny how you can push through a life-changing event just to get through the day. And that's what I did, not yet realizing the consequences of its impact. Identity. I desperately wanted to fit in somewhere, so I developed an insatiable desire that could never be filled. I got along with friends at school, but never had that best friend. I liked a lot of boys who didn't like me back, and I wondered if that's because of the color of my skin. The desire started to grow into something that I couldn't control. I was always looking for the next best thing. I just wanted to arrive to that place in life where I felt content, like I belonged, but it never seemed to come. Fast forward to when I met my husband, I was really hoping that that what's next desire would settle down after getting married. But that desire only grew and I was feeling unsatisfied. There must be more, right? Even though I was married, I lived a flirtatious lifestyle and sought fulfillment anywhere that I thought would provide that to me. 
I was at a breaking point. I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I felt displaced and I just wanted to know who I was and I looked to the world to tell me. Amidst my struggle, I became part of the worship team. I felt the least qualified person. Stepping into that role as a worship leader challenged everything in my life to the point where I either had to die, either I had to continue with my sinful ways or allow change to happen within my heart. Part of me had to die to myself so that I could finally live. Trust. My wife began putting her trust in God again after we had our first child together. She rededicated her life to God, and that's when the prayer started and when the tension in my faith, or lack thereof, grew. She and her mother had women praying for me, and if you don't know, if you have wise older women praying for you, you better watch out. I didn't know what to think of my wife getting so involved in the church, but I let her do her thing, supposedly. That is, until I found out she was tithing 10% of our money to the church. I couldn't bear the thought of our hard-earned money going to the church, especially since I was chasing the American dream of striving to make money for our family. This God that I didn't believe in not only took pleasure in suffering, but was now taking our money too. One Sunday afternoon, I was driving. I prayed for probably the first time ever, and all I said was, God, if you're real, show me. That night, I went to a bonfire. A guy I never met named Sean kept staring at me. I kept glancing in his direction, hoping he'd avert his gaze, but no. He finally worked up the courage to ask me, can I talk to you? I'm thinking in my head, please no. We locked eyes and I gave him nonverbal permission instead. It wasn't Sean speaking to me. He told me things that no one in my life knew, or not even my wife. He spoke specific details of my past that no one on earth could ever, ever know. Something or someone had imparted this knowledge to this guy, and then I remembered my prayer. I'm an internal processor, so after he spoke in my life like that, I went to the side of the house, paced in circles. I was brought up not to cry, so I just paced with a cigarette, trying to gather my thoughts. Later that night, I tried to tell my wife, Megan, what happened, but I had learned never to trust a single person in my life. And so even though I trusted her, I couldn't get the words out for a whole week. Doing life alone was so ingrained into my whole being. I prayed that week, read my Bible, and allowed God to show himself to me. It changed the course of my whole life. Shame. It pushes us into isolation. I hid my alcoholism to the best of my ability, and I did an okay job. That is, until I met my husband. Even though he knew about my struggle, I still tried desperately to hide it from him, too. I hid it from my coworkers, my family, friends, everyone I knew. I couldn't share it with people because then I'd actually have to deal with what was going on inside my heart, and I wasn't ready to face my biggest fears. Liquor kept me out of my own head and away from the thing I hated the most, me. I finally got to a point where I wanted to quit, yet alcohol was the only thing that could quiet my mind. I couldn't imagine a life with it or without it anymore. I wanted to get rid of an addiction that I was still trying to hide, and you can't get rid of something that's hidden, because what remains dark will remain hidden until the light uncovers it. My rock bottom came in the hot summer of July 2019. I was staying with my parents because my husband had had enough, and I don't blame him either. We have young children together, and he was protecting them from me. I couldn't handle the pain of detoxing coupled with the disgust and the shame I felt for myself and sobering up was only making things worse. My family had taken my car, wallet, keys. They had gotten rid of all the alcohol in the house. I was desperate to escape my own thoughts. I searched the bathrooms and medicine cabinets for anything to take the pain away. The only thing I could find was rubbing alcohol. Just the name on the bottle was enough for me to pick it up. 
I took a sip. It felt like burning liquid cotton going down my throat. I choked down another sip, and then another, and then oblivion. My next memory is waking up detained in the psych unit of the hospital. I asked the nurse what happened to me, and she said, you're here because you drink rubbing alcohol. Then I remembered what I had done, and I was shook. That was my last drink. A couple nights later, I called out to God with the most desperate, earnest prayer I had ever prayed. God, if you're there, please show me somehow, because I need you. I'm done doing this alone, and I need help. I was in my pajamas, in a puddle of my own tears, and that's where he met me. He met me in my mess. It really does take a lot of tension to get our attention, doesn't it? I'll tell you, I'm uh, sometimes a little hard to get through to. Uh, Maybe you you, uh, married men will get this. You'll be driving down the road once in a while, and this happens to me often. My wife will say, "Um, what did I just say? Which is a test, isn't it, right? And you have two options when she says that. Either you can make something up and just hope it's right, or you can admit that you were physically present, but your mind was at the Polaris dealership, right? (laughs) At least that's my case, typically. A lot of times, things have to get worse before they get better, don't they? Is that your life? Have things just been getting worse, and you're like, when does it get better? And that really is the story as we come toward this moment of resurrection, is that Jesus, the Messiah, had gone to the cross. The one who they thought would save them was now dead, and it took a lot of tension to get the world's attention. Luke 24, 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So early Easter morning, two women go to the, to the tomb to put ceremonial spices, about 75 pounds of spices, on the body of Jesus. And the thing is, the reason they had the spices was because they believed he would still be dead, Right? Like, nobody had it in their minds, like, Jesus is coming back. They weren't waiting for the big reveal. No, they just believed he was dead. And so, like their Jewish customs were, they would go put these spices on the dead body. And the purpose of the spices was to slow the decay and the decomposition of the body. And and the, the truth is, no matter how much spices you put on the body, it still decays. Isn't that the truth? Like, no matter how much you try to pretty it up and make it smell better, it's still going back to the ground in which it came. And, and here's the thing is, as I look at our lives and our temptations, we're all tempted to act religious instead of surrendering our lives to Jesus, to just try to fix our behavior, to try to be moral people and help people out. And, and see, dead religion is the equivalent of putting spices on a rotting corpse. And yet we're all tempted to do that. Maybe I'll just kind of go to church on Easter, you know, and try to help, you know, old ladies across the street and, and maybe give a little money to a good cause. And we just try to fix our lives. We think, I just need a renovation of my life. But what we need is a resurrection of the heart. The Bible says that we're not simply struggling with sin. We are literally dead in our sins, the same that Jesus was dead in a grave. And so that's where we begin the story. That's where Jesus is at in the story. You see, without the hope of something coming after death, life is pretty pointless, isn't it? Have you ever felt like, uh, I don't know why I'm getting up in the morning? I know I've had days like that. 
I always think of the famous quote from uh, atheist Richard Dawkins who says, The universe we observe has no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares, it just is, and we dance to its music. So this is where the atheist mindset brings you, is to a place of complete hopelessness. What's the point of doing anything, good or bad? You simply exist, and then you die. But the reason you're here today is because you have a hunch there's more to it than that. You have this sense that there's more to your existence than just to, to live and then to die. And as we look at this story, what we know is that Jesus always comes through. And as we sing oftentimes, if the grave is empty, anything is possible. Luke 24.2 says, They found the, stole, the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then it continues on. This is the moment of all moments. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus because he is risen. Can we celebrate that together on Easter morning? That he is risen. Amen. Luke 24, 10 says, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James and the others that went with them and who told this to the apostles. So they go and share the story, right? But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb because I love Peter. He wants to see it for himself, right? Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, listening to this, wondering to himself what had happened. So Peter, of all people, like one of Jesus' closest friends, goes to the tomb and there's no Jesus and he's like, what just happened? What just happened? I hope that there's some skeptics in the room today because I know there's a lot of Christians who would say, yeah, I celebrate Easter every year, but I'm, I'm hoping some of you are here today and uh, you, you have your doubts about this idea that a man could come back from the grave. And what I love about this story is that, that if you have some doubts, that means that you might just be qualified to be a disciple. Because Peter himself had his doubts. All of the disciples had their, their doubts. When they heard the story that Jesus had been resurrected, they were like, yeah, that sounds ridiculous. Like maybe it does to some of you, but it turns out that God can work through our doubts. The doubts don't disqualify you from the family of God. They just invite you into an opportunity to see him for who he is. And that's exactly what Jesus does to Peter. And we know later, Peter, he does believe because he preaches the gospel. In fact, uh, history shows that he was beheaded by Nero in Rome for his faith in this Jesus. You think, man, how could somebody go from like what just happened to that just happened, right? He went from what just happened to that just happened. The only way this could happen is through a real encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And I want you to know what you're hearing in these stories today is exactly that. It's the story getting worse before it gets better, and that's the moment that Jesus loves to show up. And this moment in history exploded the movement of the church. I mean, this moment in history is why you are here today. You see, this idea of Christianity wasn't invented. It wasn't something that we came up with and then we created the resurrection story. No, the resurrection story is what created Christianity. The resurrection story is why we believe. It's why we have faith. And in 300 years after this moment in time, Christians went from the persecuted people to the primary religion of Rome. Why? Because that just happened. Because a man who is dead is now 
alive. Some of you wonder, like, why do Christians carry around Bibles? Like, what's the purpose? Why do we put our, our faith in this book? Like, do we believe in Jesus because the Bible tells me so? No, that's not the case. You see, this is just a book of kind of scary stories and good life skills, right? Apart from the resurrection. But the resurrection is why we believe in the Bible. Does that make sense? Like, we believe in the Bible because Jesus is actually alive. The resurrection is the centerpiece of Christianity. It's the centerpiece of what we believe. 1 Corinthians 15 says, I passed on to you what was most important. What was most important. Listen to this. And what had also been passed on to me. Here it is. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. This is the most important thing. Here's the thing. You came into this gymnasium tonight, or you're watching with us online, and there is a chance that you're going to miss the most important thing. There's a chance that you could miss the most important thing in your life, that you could walk away from today and be like, yeah, the music was kind of cool. Yeah, the stories, yeah, they were, they were really kind of, they got me in the feels. I got hit in the feels from those stories, right? That was, that was kind of cool. Or, oh, man, it was just a, it was a great production. Or just, pastor had an eyebrow ring. That was kind of weird. Uh, like, I don't know what you're going to respond with, but people leave this place with all kinds of different things, but you have the potential to leave church today missing the most important thing. So here's what you need to know. Forget me. Forget the music. Forget the, the, the holiday itself and for all that it is, but don't miss Jesus. Don't miss the resurrection. Don't miss the very important thing that is Christ, the most important thing in our lives. Somehow Peter had spent years with Jesus, yet he overlooked the most important thing. That Jesus wasn't just a good friend or a good teacher or a man to rescue them out of their political problems. He was God in the flesh. And Peter goes from doubter to believer because he encountered that Jesus. He had a real moment with that Jesus. At least that's his story. But what is yours? Abandonment. But Jesus and his unconditional love, he found me. He fills the void that no man or woman can. And his unconditional love heals my abandonment issues to this very day. God placed people in my life to get me through and to lead me to Christ. The thing I've had to learn is that there's no person on earth who won't abandon me to a certain degree, but it no longer feels life-altering when it happens because I lean into Christ who fills that void for me. God used people in my life to lead me back to him but it's when I lean into him fully and rely on no one when I feel his unconditional love the most. My youth group pastor acted as a father figure to me and a couple of other guys when we needed it the most, and his wisdom and direction had me looking towards Christ. My grandfather was another man who called me out gently in my sin when I started down a wayward path, and he, re and he redirected my eyes back to Christ. My mom's steady and unwavering faith was another example throughout the years that had me running to the cross. It's been a lifelong journey clinging onto Christ and making him my foundation when all else feels unsteady. He has made me a good father because he has been a good father to me. I've also forgiven my father and I have the Holy Spirit to guide me on how to love him while maintaining healthy boundaries. I now picture driving down the road with Jesus 
and him turning to me and asking, do you want to be like me, son? And it's the easiest yes of my life. Identity. Dying to myself is so hard, but it's what he calls us to do. Jesus is the only thing that can stop me from the endless, exhausting search of finding more. It has been one of the most beautiful yet difficult concepts to embrace. At the end of the day, I am a child of God and a daughter of the King Most High, just as much as anyone in this room. I've had to realize that it isn't about finding the next thing that will satisfy me. I've searched everywhere for it in the world, and it only created more anxiety and turmoil because the truth is, it doesn't exist. It almost destroyed my marriage, but God continues to heal as I continue my faith journey. Redemption continues to weave its message throughout my story, and because of this, I've been able to relate to being adopted to God's heir on a profound level, knowing that when he adopts us, he truly makes us one of his own. The part of my story that we can all take part in is accepting that we are all adopted into God's kingdom as truly his own. We belong, all of us, when God is at work, we embrace the beauty of being his child and our identity is found in him, in him alone. Trust. A man I never even met became an integral part of me believing in God. God entrusted this man with knowledge about me that I had never entrusted to a human before, and it shook me. Another week after that, I told my wife that I didn't want to pursue a career that would make us money. I told her that I wanted to be poor and give everything we had to God. She smiled and just said, okay, and what does that look like? She had faith before I even believed in God that we would one day be a family in ministry, and this was an answer to her prayer. I went from being angry about giving 10% of our money to wanting to give everything I had to him. I went from viewing God as cruel to loving and full of grace, even, at, even when I mess up. I went from not being able to trust anyone to being able to trust him with my whole life and family. Trusting people still takes time and work for me, but through the grace of God, he gently guides me and lets me know who is safe. He also teaches me every day that my trust must be in him only because he is the only one who will never let me down. Today I get the opportunity to work with troubled youth and all I wish to do is to speak into the lives the way that God spoke into mine. I wouldn't change a thing in my past because I know that God uses it for his glory now. I prayed and God answered a lot quicker than I expected. He waits for us to call to him and he meets us where we're at. He is worthy of our trust. Shame. It only becomes uncovered when it's exposed. In the exact moment I had been praying, an amazing woman from ACF named Wendy texted me a devotional saying, Jesus has been waiting for you. He loves you and he wants a relationship with you. When I told her the next day that I had been praying that prayer on the floor when she sent that message, she was amazed. She told me she had planned on sending it to me that morning, but something told her to hold off until that very moment when she felt the urge to share it with me. It felt like God sent me a personal text message, and it changed my relationship with him permanently. I haven't felt the urge to pick up a drink since that day. I plugged into 12-step support groups. I got sponsored in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got to work. I knew I couldn't do it on my own because nothing that remains in darkness can be mended. 
I had to take action and air the roots of my alcoholism. I got to make amends to people I had hurt. God healed broken relationships, including my marriage, which is a miracle. I didn't have to get my life together to go to Jesus because he wanted to meet me in the middle of it. He satisfies my soul now. He makes me new. His death on the cross paid it all for me, and my hope is to share that for the rest of my life. God has used my story, and I have since been able to help others wrestle with their addiction because he's turned my dark times into a tool for his kingdom. For so long, I tried to fix myself by myself, but we need each other. We're called to be in daily communion with our Father and to bear each other's burdens because we were never created to suffer alone. So good. So as we kind of wrap this up, I have three words, and, and I, want, I want you to speak these words uh, together with me. Say the word forgiveness. And then say the word power. And then say the word hope. Forgiveness, power, and hope. What you heard in these stories were forgiveness for the past, power for the present, and hope for the future. And isn't that all any of us really want? That's for me. I know for me and my family, all we just want is forgiveness for the past, power for the present, and hope for the future. And that is what we find in the resurrection of Jesus. That's the promise that's being offered to all of us today and the promise that we see in Christ. And in John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So I want you to consider that reality. Trouble isn't a possibility. It's a promise, but so is peace from the God who beat sin and death and Satan himself by overcoming the cross by the resurrected life. And so you have an invitation to peace today. In the upper room before Jesus was crucified, they were celebrating the traditional Passover meal, him and his disciples. And rabbis would often lead people in that meal together and, and had been doing so for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when they, when they celebrated the Passover, they would follow a script. And then when the rabbi took the bread, he was supposed to say, this is the bread of the affliction which our ancestors ate in Egypt. Celebrate God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus says this, this is my body. He essentially says this is problem is about me setting you free. This brokenness is about me setting you free. Then he took the wine. And when the rabbi would take the wine, they should say, may all the all merciful make us worthy of the days of the Messiah. But Jesus says this, this is my blood of the new covenant. In other words, again, my blood spilled out for you, suffering in pain. This is about me setting you free. And I want you to go back to your headline today. What word would define your life? Where is the place that Jesus is inviting you to, to meet him? Is it wounded, hurt by the church, angry at God, divorced, dirty, unloved, abandoned, rejected, sinful, addicted, stupid, sexually broken, unsatisfied, cynical, condemned, or overwhelmed, whatever it is? Easter is the moment God took the most horrific and brutal, disgraceful act in human history and turned it into something beautiful. And that's what he wants to do in all of our lives to say, this is about me setting you free. That was the point of all of this, is I want to redeem what was broken in your life. And the only thing standing between you and this kind of hope today is you, is your willingness to receive it. 
And so here's the deal. You and I may never see each other again. I, I'm only promised today. You are only promised today. And so I have to give you a chance to respond to this. So I want to ask you two questions. I, I grew up going to a church camp uh, like every summer. And, and at church camp, they would, they would tell me and ask me these questions. And, and they, they really helped me to kind of solidify the decision I had to make. And the first question is this. Is if you stood before God today on a scale of 1 to 10... How strongly do you believe that he would let you into heaven? That's question number one. Question number two is, if God asked you why he should let you in, what would be your answer? And if your answer to either of those questions is less than 10 or anything but Jesus, you have a next step to take. Because we should stand in confidence today knowing that if I have breathed my last breath this morning, I will go to stand before the God who has rescued me from sin and death. And at the same time, as I think about how I would get in, the answer to why should you accept me, it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the cross. The sacrifice that's been made for me, I am not worthy of Jesus, but he has said you are worthy of my love. And his sacrifice is sufficient for my life and for yours. And so I want you to make a decision this morning. I want you to consider actually taking a next step in receiving this. And maybe Easter 2022 is the day that you made this decision for the first time. I want you to grab your program. If you have this somewhere, just pull this out real quick. Find it. It might be sitting underneath you or you're sitting on it somewhere. But I want you to go to the last page. And there's a perforated thing on the last page that says, begin a relationship with Jesus. And then in the room with like a thousand plus of us in here, I want us all to tear it off at once. And it's going to sound really cool. Are you ready? So fold it over. One, two, three, tear it off. And here's all I want you to do. Is if you're beginning a relationship with Jesus today, I want you to fill that out. And we just want to text you a little bit of information on how to take your next step. We believe that you should never try to follow Jesus alone. That you're never meant to live life alone or to try to follow Jesus alone. But we need all these people in the room. I'll tell you what, I need all of you guys. I need your encouragement in my life. I need you as family in my life, encouraging me and challenging me. And so we need each other. And so don't try to follow Jesus alone. Let us know. We're not going to send you a bunch of spam. We just want to give you some information on how to follow Jesus. So that's the first thing I want you to consider doing. The second thing is this. We have these tanks in this room for baptism. Romans 6, 4 says this, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That's the symbol of baptism is when you go under the water, it's a symbol of death to that old life. Although you may still struggle with sin, it's like the old is gone, the new is come. You are alive in Christ Jesus and resurrected with him. And so it's a command. It's, it's, the, it's the first response. And in the first century church, when somebody would give their hearts to Jesus, they would immediately go and get baptized. Now, let's be real. Some of you here would say, if I were to, if I were to choose a religion or choose a belief, I would say that I'm a Christian. The question is, have you been baptized? I'll tell you, I uh, probably raised my hand to say I want to follow Jesus about a hundred times before I felt like it actually stuck. I don't know if you went to, went to a camp or at a church service or maybe you just kind of had an altar call and you raised your hand, but it never really felt real to you. 
I'll tell you the thing standing between your faith being something that doesn't really sustain you and something that's real is you taking a step and moving. That your faith was never meant to be private because the crucifixion of Christ was not private, it was public. And so we're called to go and go public with our faith through the sign of baptism. Now, here's the thing. We have this sign over in the corner. Corner, If you want to get baptized, here in a moment, I'm going to have you go out and around there, and they have everything you need. So if you're here today and you're like, I got my hair all did for church today, and I'm wearing my Easter dress, you better believe I'm not getting in that water. Here's the deal. We have everything for you. We have shorts. We have t-shirts, literally hair dryers in the bathrooms. The water is like a balmy 90 degrees. They warmed it up for you. They had a laser uh, thermometer earlier to make sure it was perfect. So you will never have a better moment than Easter today to go public with your faith. And so I want you to consider this. You are creating your headline right now. You're telling a story right now. And your headline can either be, man, she really loved her hair. Or it can be, man, she really loved Jesus. And so here during the music at the end here, we're not going to make you say anything, but we want you to get up and get baptized. So in a moment, when I pray, what I want you to do, this is a little different, is if you're ready to get baptized, I want you to actually stand up and we are going to celebrate. I mean, some of you have done the every eye closed, you know, heads bowed, raise your hand. I don't want this to be private. I want this to be public. I want this to be a day in your mind that you will never forget when you stood and said, I'm not ashamed of the God who's not ashamed of me. And so we're going to celebrate that together. So would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful that you meet sinners where they are. God, we acknowledge that we haven't just made mistakes, but we have sinned against not just others, but a holy God. And Father, our own behavior change is never going to be enough. We need the grace of Jesus today. God, I pray for my friends in the room today that you would allow us to receive that grace. It's hard to receive that grace sometimes. We are not worthy of it. And yet, God, that is what qualifies us to receive it, is the reality that we are not worthy. But God, you call us loved. And so, God, I pray that we could go from death to life today. I pray that we would receive your grace for the first time, some of us today. And that we could walk in power, in the presence, in hope for the future. We pray all of this. Here's your moment to stand. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. If you want to get baptized today, would you stand up and walk over here towards the door? Let's celebrate God at work in the room today for anybody that gets up and wants to get baptized today. Amen. Come on. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.